0: Take your Bible for now. It's a very topical message tonight for Missions Month. We're beginning a Wednesday night series on evangelizing everyone. And uh, we're going to look at a different number of things throughout this series. Pastor Dave's going to talk about evangelizing Mormons, and Pastor Jim's going to talk about evangelizing Catholics, and we're going to talk about numerous things all throughout the Wednesday nights through the Missions Month Hope it'll be encouragement to you as well. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 for now. I asked a question, I posed a series of questions, honestly, um, to a number of staff people in our offices this week, and I'm going to pose them to you. I'm not looking for answers because they're rhetorical in some ways, but I'm asking you to think with me. Will there be people in heaven who never read their Bible? Will there be people in heaven who never prayed? Will there be people in heaven who never went to church? Will there be people in heaven who never served others? If you answered no to all of the previous questions, let me add another then. Will there be people in heaven who never shared the gospel. See, I I think that all of us would say, no, no, those ones you mentioned, those are things that real Christians do. To be a Christian, a real Christian, you would have experiences and times where you have at least read your Bible, that you've prayed, that you go to church, that you served others. And we'd say, oh, you have to have those things. But would we say that about the last one? Um. We usually would say to someone, if we were trying to encourage them, and they were not doing the previous ones, they weren't going to church or reading their Bible or praying and really lacked any disciplines and spiritual disciplines in their lives, and they started talking to us and we asked them, why? Why don't you? And they would say, and I've heard them and so have you, I'm so busy. If you only knew my schedule. And I get up so early and, you know, that's the best time to have it and I have to be out the door 6 6.30 in the morning and it's you know, so difficult. Or, you know, often at times I do my devotions at night and I come home and I'm so tired. Or I'm just not a disciplined person. Or I've heard, I've tried that, Pastor Walker, and it doesn't work. And you would say, all of those are, and they may be true. But in the end, what are they? Oh, they're excuses, aren't they? But what about the witnessing part? I've heard a lot of those. Well, I'm not very outgoing. I don't know if I know all the answers. I'm kind of afraid of talking to people that I don't know or I'm not familiar with. Or I'm not really good at that. That's not my spiritual gift. What do you think all of those are? Excuses, right? I recently read about a mega church, a solid mega church. Thousands of people go to it and they took a survey of their own people. 4,000 people. And they asked them, how many of you would say that you witness to anyone? The percentage of people that answered yes out of 4,000 was eight. 8%. What if that was true at Faith Baptist Church? So on a Sunday morning, we have 400 people. That would mean that out of 400 people that fill this auditorium, both levels... That 32 people would even ever witness to anyone. That means this. See these four rows right here? We could fill these four rows with witnessing people and all the other seats in the auditorium would be empty because there is no one else doing it. What can we do about it? What should we do about it? Let me give you an illustration. You've heard this a little bit before. I'm going to give you a little different bent on it. My dad taught all of us kids at first, until my mom realized what his techniques were doing to us, about how to swim. My dad was from the South. They were very poor. No one had money for swimming lessons. So my dad was thrown into a pond, and they said, swim, boy. (laughs) And that's what his lessons were. So my dad took me to the pool, which we went to. had this I guess you'd call it a swim club or whatever. They had tennis courts and all that kind of stuff. So there's a bunch of people in there swimming in the pool. So I don't know how old I was, not very. So he's going to give me a swimming lesson, and I at first was pretty excited about it until he stood in the middle of the pool in deep water, and I'm, you know, what am I, six years old? And he says, all right, go ahead, jump in and swim. I go, I don't know how. He goes, jump in. You now my dad didn't really, you can't really say anything to my dad. You just did it. Um, so I, was, I started to cry because I didn't know what to do. I go, I'm going to jump in, and this will be the last thing I ever do. And so I jumped in. And so I jumped in. As soon as I hit the water, I screamed for help from the lifeguard. And my dad, I saw, my, I saw the lifeguard to get out of the chair until my dad went like this, and he got back in the chair. <laughs> and uh, but that was my dad's idea of a swimming lesson. He got. He, I was in the water, floundering, not moving, and he. I only moving because I was doing this, and he kept moving. I get a little closer, he'd move away, and he would just say, "Swim." just like he was told, right? And finally, when I started to go under, he grabbed me. And then to my crazy enough, he put me back on the side of the pool and said, all right, let's do it again. I think it was some sort of torture, actually. But I realize this, if you don't know how to swim, someone yelling swim at you, you won't do anything, will it? You know what happens? What if you don't witness? What if I just told you from the pulpit, Ready? witness, boy. (laughs) What if I told you that? And I just, you know, you get in the water and you start witnessing right now. Come on, do it. And you're floundering. You're not doing anything. And I just say, swim. What's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen. And for 92% of people, that's pretty much how they feel about it. They know they're supposed to do it. They've been commanded in the Bible to. It's not like witnessing is optional. But I found out this. There's hardly anybody that doesn't witness that I've ever met that didn't know that they should. It's not like we don't know the Great Commission, right? So what's going on? I, I found that even though it, has, it is commanded, it is also something that people have to, be, to learn and to be worked with about. So tonight what I want to do is a little bit more practical side of things. I want to look at the Gospels and I want to look at Jesus and what he can teach us about what I call everyday evangelism. Now You know, I've said it many times from the pulpit, that a disciple and their rabbi, the number one thing the disciple wanted was this, twofold. The disciple at all costs wants to know what the master knows. And he wants to do what the master does. That's why Peter walked on water, because if Jesus could do it and he's the master, then I can do it because my whole life is about immolating him. And so here's how Jesus taught people things. And you read the Bible, you read the Gospels more carefully, and you'll see this pattern. Jesus starts out teaching people this, I do it, you watch me. Second, I do it, you do it with me. Thirdly, he would say or do, you do it, I'll do it with you. And lastly, he would say, you do it, and I'll watch you. But here's what I found out. You know what most of being a disciple is like with Jesus? Oh, there's lots of teaching. Some of it's propositional, less, more of it's stories. But most of it is life experiences. You know what I remember about being in actual swimming lessons? My dad's was, jump in and get swimming. You know what they talked? Now, eventually, when my mom found out, she stopped all that, and we took, took us to the YMCA, and they had a program back when I was a kid, that you started off as a minnow. I don't think they do any of this stuff anymore and then you become a guppy and then some other. Sh- and then eventually, if you're really good, you become a shark. <laughs> you know? And so eventually I was moving my way through the classes. But you know what I found out about how, do you, re- how you really learn to swim, contrast to my dad's methodologies, was they didn't have a classroom. I didn't go in the classroom, and they said, now do this, you know, or this. They didn't have a classroom for that. They didn't have pictures of people swimming. Every single swim lesson I had was at the pool or in the pool. Every one of them. And so I learned how to swim by doing it, by doing it. You uh, remember the story in Mark 5, and. The whole chapter, really, is about the one that uh, Dave referred to, the demoniac of, of the Gadarenes. So he gets saved. He's clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus gets up to leave, and he says that he wants to go with him. And with him is a technical term in that passage, meaning I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to go wherever you go, which was such a radical change from what he was before. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to go with me. But you know what he tells them? Instead, you're going to go into the Decapolis, which is the ten cities on the other side of the Jordan that were all filled with Gentiles. And here's what you're going to go. You're going to go and tell everyone what great things God has done for you. That's what you're going to do. Because what here, here, you know what the first natural thing a disciple is? is a witness. Why? Because... It's fresh off of how Jesus has changed you. So let me tell you, that story is not about, oh, look, you can be a witness and not know anything that you're doing. That's not it. It The guy had just become a believer, and he didn't know much. But here's what he did know. Here's what the story means. It means that you can be a witness, for starters, even if all you know is who Jesus is and what he's done for you. That's enough to get started. It is not an excuse to say, that's all I ever know. But that's where all disciples start doing. And he says, listen, you don't have to take a class in it. Not that classes are wrong, but you need to start off by this. You need to start off doing it. That's the kind of lessons that you need. So I want to look at Two aspects of Jesus' evangelism, and they're simple as all get out, and you know them already, but I'm going to present them maybe a little bit differently. There are two things. If you're here tonight and you're one of the uh, 92% that don't ever, hardly ever, however you want to phrase it, witness, this is for you. So the first thing you need to do this, and it's way more important than you might think, is that, here's the first aspect, being being Jesus to others. Being Jesus to others. In 2007, a guy by the name of Nassim Nicholas Taleb wrote a book called The Black Swan. It was on the New York best-selling list for about a year. And in it, he tells about major momentous events in history and how they were, his word, outliers, meaning the thing that the guy that was trying to discover in the cases that he mentions weren't the things that he actually discovered. And In fact, the things that he thought he was going after never happened, but the things that happened to him while he was doing something else was really what made history. And so he gives the example of Dr. Alexander Fleming, who discovered penicillin, but he wasn't trying to discover penicillin when he discovered it. He was working in a lab, and he noticed by random accident, that's his terms, that The mold on his Petri dish was unexpectedly killing bacteria. That's not what he was doing. But it found him, he says. And he discovered penicillin for all of us. See, his conclusion was in the book that, see, we ought to embrace the seeming randomness of events that take place in our lives, That we go after something like this, but what happens or just happens in our life as we're going to do something else? He says, see, we ought to embrace those things because that's what life is really made of. Now, I want to take that application and tell you this. That sometimes we go out and try to evangelize and take evangelistic opportunities. And we think that we're going to find someone to talk to, but it doesn't happen. But you know what I found out? That when we go out to be Jesus to people, sometimes those opportunities for evangelism find us. Let me give you a a story about that. I read about a pastor's wife. She is Asian, and she was in a mall shopping for some things, and she had her three boys with us. Her three little boys were three, five, and seven years old. So as she's walking down the mall, getting ready to go to another store, she looked over and there was a lady with a baby, and she also was Asian, but she looked like frantic. She looked like something was really wrong. And so the pastor's wife walks over to this lady and asks her if she could help her, and she found out through conversation, the lady's name was Jenna, and she's talking to her and she communicates to the pastor's wife that she has a very elderly mother, and she let her sit on a bench. She went into the store with the baby, left the cart, the baby cart, with all the, her, her phone, her wallet, all of her stuff, the baby food, all of it was in the, the cart. And when she came out of the store, her mom was gone. And she didn't know where she was. And she'd already taken a little time to look for her and couldn't find her anywhere. So this lady, the pastor's wife, who doesn't know her from Adam, says, let me try to help you find her. Now remember, she has three kids with her. The story says, as it was told in the book I read, that she spent the next three hours trying to find her mom. She went in practically every store in the mall. She, then they couldn't find her. They called the police. The police came to the mall, couldn't find her. They walked outside. She ended up being outside the mall, down the block, in a different short, store, all together with the baby, all the baby stuff. But it took them that long to find Now, when she find her, the, Jenna, the woman, br- burst into tears. She gave the pastor's wife this big hug. She couldn't thank her enough about all that she's done. Well, you know, the pastor's wife, because she's on mission, said, Hey, why don't you bring your baby? Our church group has a play group for all kids, uh, zero to five or six, I think she said. And why don't you come and bring your baby? She goes, I would love to. So she came to the, the little play group, and she loved it. And so she got to know the pastor and his, the wife of the pastor that was helping her out. And she said, hey, do you know anything about doing a barbecue? Because I like to give a barbecue, and I've never done it before for my friends. And so they said, yeah. And she goes, she goes in fact, Jenna, do you have a barbecue? She goes, I don't. She goes, well, how about if you use ours? And we'll bring it over to your house. We'll show you how to use it and help you set up for your party. She goes, You would do that? She goes, Sure. So she goes over there and they come. And so all of her friends come over. And, and so the pastor's wife said, How about all these people that you're coming over? They had a play group with their kids. So the unsaved people brought their families and their children and their play group. And all the saved people and their families and their kids and their play group all had a barbecue together. And she said, And from that, The guy who was Jenna's husband said, let's go to their church. So she goes to church, the husband comes to church, and after he goes to church the first day, he says, listen, I don't know what it is that these people believe, but after today, we will believe it. (laughs) And And they said from that one being Jesus to that one lady in a mall, three families became Christians. But see, being Jesus to our world, do you see what it is? She didn't go to the mall for this. This is what came to her at the mall. And it starts that way sometimes in evangelism, doesn't it? That you invite someone over, or you do a nice thing for someone, or you're helping them out. See, maybe that's truly where some of our evangelism starts. I've read the Gospels many, many times, and you have too. And I have found this, that Jesus' evangelistic opportunities can be divided up into two categories. One is planned. And of course, I understand theologically that everything, especially for Jesus, was always planned. There wasn't randomness as far as reality goes. But from a human perspective, you look at the Gospels, there are times where he directly went to people and planned it, i.e. Samaritan woman. I must go through Samaria. So he didn't go around like everybody else did. John 4, he went straight to them. Right? The Nicodemus. You have people. There are people that he had. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I must stay at your house today. Planned by Jesus. He stopped there under the tree. This is what he planned. But you can watch Jesus' life. And there were lots of times where evangelistic opportunities came to him. The rich young ruler runs up to him. He feeds the five thousand in a crowd that had gathered, and then he evangelizes them. Jairus' daughter came running up to him. Servants from the centurion whose servant had died or was about to die, had came to him. He was walking through town, and a funeral came by, and he healed the widow of Nain and gave the gospel. See, on and on the go- Jesus on the cross, quote unquote, "It was all planned, but we would look at it and say the thief on the cross was there and he gave him the gospel as they talked together, but he started the conversation, the thief did. You see, that's how it works in our lives. Sometimes it's just being Jesus. Did you ever wonder why that Jesus preceded most of his evangelistic talks and messages, especially with large groups, with miracles? He wasn't trying to show off and show how powerful I was because miracles, one of the functions, authenticate the message. And although Jesus used, and we're going to get to that in a minute, all kinds of different methodologies in the message, the message remained the same. But what he would do is, I call it, Jesus was being Jesus to people. He would heal them. He would touch them. He would care for them. He would do all kinds of great things because that was what it meant to be Jesus. See, that's what we need to do. See, I don't have to have all kinds of special routines or, you know, apologetic techniques. Because you know where it really starts? And you know why I think 92% of people don't do it? Because we're not being Jesus on a daily basis. You ever try to get in shape? Some people do it this way, and I read statistics, and they're about the same about witnessing. You know, 92% of people who start serious diets to get in shape don't make it. Why? You know why? Because they add fitness to their lifestyle. And fitness is an accessory to their life. But you'll never really change if you just keep your life the same and add, try to add fitness to it. You know why? You have to have a fit lifestyle. So in evangelism, you know why people say, okay, I heard Pastor Walker tonight and I am not evangelist. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to. But see, if you add evangelism as an accessory instead of having an evangelistic lifestyle, it will never work. You have to become a certain kind of person. That's where Jesus, that's the difference. That's what he was. He was on mission all the time in his life. So for me, and I'm joking because you know I like food, but it's not just that. My best evangelism has been for people I have known, I'm a pastor, so I'm in here, and I, Jim and I had this talk the other day, and I said, Jim, we've read the Gospels over and over again. Do you think Jesus would sit behind the desk and, a, and be at a computer as long as you and I are? I said, do you think he Can you imagine him? Do you think? I think we'd look around and say, Jesus, is he ever in his office? You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm thinking this, so I go out to eat a lot. Okay, A lot. And I met Rosa through it. And you've been here long enough, you know that. And Rosa came to know Jesus. For that, she's in Sicily today. She went home to retire there. And, but what an amazing relationship over 20 years that has been for us in our church. I now have Angelo, who I met at Brothers Pizza. And COVID, he went to start his own job. Right, he started his own business right before COVID. And it died. It killed it. I felt so bad for him. But, you know, he was a... I don't remember the town name. Do you off the top of your head? What? Jamesburg? Okay. 30 minutes maybe? Maybe not quite? But so we went over there to Jamesburg just to eat his restaurant to try to encourage him. All right? I know he loves professional soccer. He's from Italy. Everybody, I think, does. It's almost required. Um, So I I found out his favorite team and his favorite player, and I got him a jersey with that guy's name on it. And we gave it to him as a present. And so recently, I told you in church, Anthony's is what he owns. See, I don't even know what I'm doing. Out there on Broad Street, wherever that is, um, he owns Anthony's on the corner right there, right by the Dunkin' Donuts, if you've ever been over there. So he owns that now. So I've been in there a number of times talking to him. Steve's gone in there. Steve went over there yesterday and invited him to uh, Caleb and Leah's reception at the Butler's this Sunday. Um, why? Because just being Jesus, just helping him, you know, I'm not just going over there to give him the gospel, although that's a good thing. But I, I eat his food and I bring him. And he he bought our friend day pizza. He gave us half price for all those pizzas. And so I mean, and, but you know what? Angelo's a history. We have a history with him, and we've invited him. And he keeps and Steve even said, "I love it." You know, because Steve, you know, you think of a mild manner. He he goes, Angelo, you keep telling us you're gonna come. But you didn't come. Why didn't you come? <laughs> and, you know, and so he goes, oh, I got busy here. You know, We give him a hassle about it. You know? So I'm so free with him now. I said, dude, do you really like us or not? Come on, let's go. But he comes. Brittany at Cracker Barrel. She had cancer at 26 years old. She wore a bandana on her head because she doesn't have hair hardly at all. And so I found out by going there that Amy Gurner, when she was still here with us and Keith, went there. And so I told them about Brittany. They go, we already know Brittany. And so we've been talking in between that time. Brittany came to church here. The guy that stands in the front, I can't even think of his name, at Walmart, George. Yes, he's come to church here a couple times. Why? Because we all mess with him when we go to... He's hilarious, right? But just being Jesus, being Jesus. A great book to read by Rosaria Butterfield, um, former lesbian... Turned Christian intellect, really awesome writer, and all kinds of things. She wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And in it, she says this You know how she was a feminist, anti God, nothing to do with Christianity, hated every bit of it. And she agreed one night that the, the pastor of her church and his wife asked her over to come over for dinner. And then she thought, oh, great, this is my chance to blow them out of the water about Christianity. (laughs) And she said, afterwards, she goes, I went home and thought, dog it, these people are nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, she goes, and then they said this to her, hey, why don't you come back next week? She goes, all right, it'll be different. I'll really take them to the cleaners next week. And then she goes, man, I really like them. And she kept talking to them. She went to their house every week for dinner for two years. And it changed her life in eternity. She said, you know why? Because someone was being Jesus to me. Listen to these verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I turn turn there, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. See that? We haven't got to that part yet. We may not, it looks like but our, also ourselves, our own selves. It's the word soul. While we proclaim to you the gospel. So there's a gospel sandwich proclaiming at the beginning and the end, but you know what was in between it? And we gave ourselves to you. We had love for you. We grew to be very fond of you, it says. But you know what it says in verse 10? Watch this. This is real evangelism, verse 10. You are witnesses, so they witnessed to the people and the people could witness back to them about how they lived in front of them. See, do you have that? It's not just that do you witness, but people, are they witnessing about what you do to them and for them and show them? Oh, but see the love? See the difference? The last, the second thing, in fact, I'm going to close with this because I'm not going to do point two. actually. Let me show you what, how important it is what I'm saying tonight. Sam Chan has a book, and I've used it heavily in reading this week. And he has a chart in it. And he says, this is how you used to evangelize moderns. Moderns meaning people who were my age. He says, you used to do this when you gave them an evangelistic presentation. You would give them truth. You would ask them to believe and then tell them what they had to practice he goes but we live in postmodern world and everything's reversed, he goes here's what they want now, you give them practice then tell them that this is what we believe and then they say yeah I think that's true let me tell you what it means, let me show you I'll say it another way, in moderns they used to say, "This is." we used to tell them, this is true, and if it's true, you must believe it, and if you believe it, you must live it. But today, that doesn't work as well. And he says this, the first thing you tell them is the Christian life is livable. Watch me. The second thing was, if it's livable, then I guess it's a believable. And lastly, if it's believable, it must be true. See, we think that we can go up to people and just start giving the truth and say, hey, here's my worldview. Everything in the Bible is true. In in Sam Chan's book, he related a question to everybody. He said, if I came up and told you, hey, last night aliens landed in my backyard, and I went up in their saucer, and they took me over to this place, and we had dinner together, and it was really done. They came back at light speed and dropped me off. As we went past Jupiter, we came to Earth, and they said, have a great night. He says, and you would say what to them? Cuckoo. Why? Because in our worldview, what? theres He calls it plausibility structures. In other words, you look at that and you go, come on. Everybody knows. That's not even possible. But then he says... Imagine, if you don't have a Christian worldview at all, you start telling this, hey, a Jewish carpenter who claimed to be God was born from a woman who didn't have a relationship with a man, and actually he was a God, grew up, never sinned, died on a cross as a slave, and rose again from the dead, and without him, you'll never have life. He says, you know what most people think? Cuckoo. But see, if we don't just, we can't just, can't just, I don't want to say as if it's nothing, it's everything. But here's what he says. They want to know if that story that seems so crazy to them isn't true. How can I believe it? Oh, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like in your life. See, if we're always on mission, then we will always every day seek to be Jesus. I have another chance at the end of this month, and I'll do point two. Because I'll say this in closing. Because being Jesus leads to sharing Jesus. It does. Now, there are times, and I'm only speaking, right, that there are times, and I've done it on airplanes, I'm not going to see these people ever again. So I don't have much time to show being to them anything. Although you'd be surprised on an airplane was rude as some people can be, that if you're different, they might see it right away. But sometimes all you can do is share Jesus. That's all you, but that's not our lives most of the time. There's a place for spontaneous evangelism that has a short pocket or a short window to it. Jesus did that. But a lot of times he would have something to do with people other than just saying truth words to them. He would love them, care for them, do miraculous things for them, spend time with them, defend them, the adulterous woman, and more and more. Go to their house, Zacchaeus, drink from their water, woman at the well take visitors at night, Nicodemus. (laughs) See, there is important, isn't it? So let's do that this this month and every month after. Let's pray this. Not only put my prayer often is put people in my life and put me in people's lives who need to worship your glory, which means saved. But can I tell you this? Also do this. Help me to take the opportunities I can to love people and be Jesus to people in big ways, little ways, in so many ways. Who knows? I may be looking for this, but I don't know what's looking for me, what God has in store in his providence and his sovereignty. But we can be. We can be ready for those things as much as possible if we're always being like Jesus every day. All right, let's pray. Ah, Father... We want the 8% to grow. We want Faith Baptist Church to be made up of people who are so in love with you that it cannot be contained. And we all know what that looks like because a lot of us have had children. We have no problem talking about our grandchildren, showing people pictures and what our kids can do and what they have done and what they've become. It's not hard. We could overcome any meekness that we might have when it comes to that. But somehow, when it comes to you, that isn't the same, at least some of the time. Oh, God, fill us. Fill us with your truth. Fill us with love for you. Help us to intentionally go out of our way, whether it's through restaurants, whether it's through building relationships in other ways. Help us to be Jesus, just for starters. There's so much more. But at least just for starters, help us to be Jesus so that people can see you in us, us as individuals, us as a church, because we always represent you. Father, may the words that we say and the things that we do and don't do, how we respond and how we act, may we realize that people's eternal life may be at stake because they're looking at us. And when they do so, may they see you. And in that, Master, we pray that you'd be glorified. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.